Welcome to The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. Here's today's moderator, Rich Brady. Welcome, and thanks for joining us again. I'm Rich Brady, CEO at the American Society of Military Comptrollers, and your host on The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. My guest today is Che Bolden, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Charles F. Bolden Group. The Bolden Group is a consortium of accomplished leaders and problem solvers, focused primarily at the intersection of space and national security. Their strategic model is rooted in four business areas, public benefit, executive advisory, problem solving, and engagement to advance science and security globally and sustainably. The space industry is poised to generate over $1 trillion in revenues by 2040, and our everyday lives are increasingly impacted by the space domain, whether we know it or not. Leveraging the space domain responsibly across national security, the economy, and society is the purview of companies like the Bolton Group. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks for that, Rich. Really glad to be here. Absolutely. Great uh, great talking to you today. So it's interesting uh, this week that we're taping the show. Uh, space is in the news uh, with uh, NASA uh, sending a rocket up to uh, smash into an asteroid. So it's great that we won't be talking about that today. We'll be talking about the Bolden Group, uh, but space is definitely in the news. We like uh, here on the Business of Defense to talk, uh, we talk to companies to start at the beginning, kind mm-hmm. of the origin story. Can you kind of go back to 2017 to uh, the beginning of the Bolden Group and talk about how it came about? Yeah, absolutely. And it actually goes a little bit further back than that, uh, just because of the family history. Um, as I kind of have talked to you about in the past and whatnot, I, I grew up in the shadow of shuttle, uh, having been the son of an astronaut. Uh, so I've got to, to observe space for quite some time. I'm not you know, as far back as the Apollo era, but we go back deep into shuttle and all of its successes. Um, what ended up happening, uh, my father was the administrator, NASA administrator for the Obama administration. And in 2017, when he left office, uh, he basically went and hung a shingle in order to provide consultory services related to the advancement of science and security. Um, he was running that company for a while. Uh, I was still active duty in the military. Uh, my wife and my sister and I talked about it quite a bit and knew that my father needed a little bit more help because he was a one-man show doing it, uh, and he's in high demand. And so I had offered up uh, the possibility of me coming on board to be his chief operating officer. He uh, said, I'll do you one better. You got it. And uh, he handed the company over to me to run. Uh, and so he was our first uh, expert that we added to our stable of, of individuals. And then we just started to look for those who shared our values, shared our vision of the future, uh, and had demonstrated that they were strong leaders in complex complex organizations. And we started to ask them if they wanted to affiliate with us. And then that's how we got the stable of experts that we have. Uh, what we started to focus on um, was the, the basic concept of leadership. Uh, and at the time we were starting the company in this new iteration, COVID hit. And so we had to figure out business development, how do you progress the ideas that you have, how do you reach out and talk to people? And it was a bit of a challenge. Uh, and so we kind of tried to embrace that, that idea. And then we eventually got to the point where we wanted to create more of an ecosystem where people could join and contribute to the conversation, where we don't have to be the sole source of information or lead the conversation, but our expertise and our experience is there for people to rely on. Uh, and that's how we try to, to build our, our ecosystem now through partnerships and collaborations as opposed to the traditional old uh, hey, we're consultants, we're here to help pay us this money, and then we're gone after we deliver a product. We, we don't want to operate that way. We don't operate that way. We try to in, create enduring partnerships. So it sounds like you started out, space was kind of the core of, uh, of how the Bolden Group started, but has grown over time. 
I know the experts that you have there, uh, they come from a broad range of areas, uh, from uh, medicine, healthcare, education, cyber, uh, you've got authors and Marines. Um, you know, was this growth, uh, this growth path that you've been on over roughly the past five years, was it intentional or as, as you said, was it uh, just as the market emerged in front of you, uh, you went out and, and uh, got the capabilities, the expertises that you needed? Yeah, when you look at our website or any other of the, of the uh, whatever you, uh, the copy that's out there for the company, uh, it, it's misleading in some respects. At our core, we're about leadership, that's it. You know, and so the people we went to get right off the bat were those that we knew who were proven leaders in their field. Um, because of my father's background and my background, that kind of defaulted us to national security and aerospace. Right. But we knew there were some other components that needed the attention. Um, neither national security or aerospace can exist without science, technology, engineering, math, plus art and design, and so that was a natural byproduct. And then my sister uh, is in the healthcare profession, so in order for it to be a family business, we added the, the health part. Little did I know that health is actually foundational to all of those, and we can talk about that a little bit later if, if, uh, if we can get to it. Um, but when we brought the individuals in, it wasn't so much their expertise as in their proven track record. We wanted individuals who we know or knew and had, had observed were able to go into some of the most hostile, complex, jacked up uh, places and help set them on the right path. You know, I'm incredibly proud to be the son of someone who went into an organization in the national government and took it from being middle tier as far as a place where people wanted to work to being the number one federal uh, organization in the administration. That's what happened with NASA. And I am not ashamed to say that I have no doubt that that's due to my father and the people around him and the type of leadership that they had dis displayed and the people of NASA responded in that regard. And now NASA is once again one of the preeminent uh, offices within the executive branch. That same thing can happen in a lot of places, both in government and outside of government. And we're just here to try and help people get to that solution. So as you said, you've got, uh, you've got customers uh, on both the government side and the private sector side. Uh, when you go to them, uh, what's your 30-second pitch? How do you sell uh, the Bolden Group? You know, uh, I'm not the best at that. Being Marines, <laughs> uh, you would think you know, we, we would have this self-promotion uh, self trait. Um, the reality of it is we try to work with each individual and we're not, we're not trying to sell anybody on anything. You know, the, the main hook, if you will, is helping individuals identify a problem and then if we are the right people to help them with that problem, we then have a conversation about it. Um, one of the things that we continue to, to make sure is one of our first, first evaluation points, and as you alluded to some of our products, public service or public benefit is one of the things we put first and foremost. That is a non-tangible and we look at it through the lens of what makes for a good leader. And I'm going to say something that some people that listen to this might think that you know we're getting into a cultural discussion, or a, I, I hesitate to use the term wokeness, but the reality of it is, if you're not taking into consideration the definitional concepts of diversity, equity, inclusivity, and sustainability in your leadership practices, then you're probably not going to be poised to be very successful. Because as we, whether it's subconscious or just by natural, the natural order of things, we have generated a lot of value by putting those concepts at the forefront since, the, since we started the, the country. We may not realize it. You know, we may look and go, uh, okay, that person's just too, too different for us and we just shun them. Um, but in reality, we have always embraced those concepts. Now, because it comes into discussions in a social contract, construct, a lot of people kind of you know, shy away from it. But the reality of it is they're foundational to leadership and team building. You have to take those things into consideration. And so when we look to any potential partner, and that's what we prefer to look at any client or customer as a partner, is like, okay, where do you sit with your beliefs along the lines of those basic values? And then we can problem solve from there. Yeah, this is great. I really want to get into, and I, I think we'll have time in the second segment to talk a little bit more about the corporate culture uh, and your views on, on talent management. 
as it sits today, where the Bolden Group is today, what do you see uh, from a business perspective as your competitive advantage uh, compared to some of your um, your competitors? Out Absolutely. There? Yeah. The, you know, at its core, our, our knowledge of leadership. You know, we have the experience and expertise. Um, every member of the Bolden Group, whether they're a, a, a regular member or an affiliated member, has demonstrated that they know how to lead and build teams, and they know how to be members of teams. And so, when we take you know, if we look at just the space sector alone, we've got 350 plus years of experience in the space sector. Um, that by virtue of a number is, is irrelevant, but that by virtue of proven performance now becomes something significant. And so I strongly believe that just our fundamental ability to deliver our leadership skills and impart knowledge on leadership is that competitive. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty deep bench. Uh, as we said in the beginning, uh, it, it, depending on what estimate you look at, the space industry is poised to generate somewhere probably between one to two trillion dollars mm -hmm. in revenue mm -hmm. over the next uh, twenty years. You know, from a business perspective, and you're right in the middle of it. Is it kind of the wild west out there right now? A lot of companies, uh, a lot of small companies, large companies, everything trying to sort itself out. What's it like competing in that kind of an environment? That's a bit of a loaded question, only because. Um, so we'd have to go way back in time and figure out when the last time people really focused on space. 1962, John F. Kennedy, Rice University. We go to the moon not because it's easy. We go because it's hard. That was the last compelling narrative around space that had people interested. In it. And so when you look at what space looks like today, it's, there's two paths that it can follow. The first one is Space Race 2.0, which maintains a certain amount of institutionalism and tradition, or some new endeavor that's not necessarily a space race, where we sit, if we go back to our core values as a company, we're looking to create equitable opportunity in the emerging space economy. You had mentioned that it's anywhere from one to two trillion. If we look at all of the traditional and institutional efforts that we have going into space, it's about a trillion to $1.1 trillion. The additional value that people are looking at are completely unrealized areas of importance. Agriculture, education, health, entertainment. All of those things will play into the, to this, the, this emerging space economy. If we walk down Wisconsin Avenue right now, you're going to see 50 different types of businesses, and it's fairly normal. Nobody thinks twice about whether that company belongs here or not. But when we talk about space, that's not necessarily the case right now. A lot of capital, whether it's private equity, venture capital, or even institutional investment, are still going into those areas that are somewhat traditional. And that, by default, bars a lot of entry. What we want to do is open the aperture. We want people to talk about what opportunities there are in space. Because, to be perfectly blunt, roughly 615 human beings have left the planet out of 7.9 billion. That's a lot of a, of a deficit. So if we look at the traditional definition of who's a space person, an astronaut or an engineer, a pilot or someone in the sciences, that's very limiting. Um, so competition within those spaces is pretty established. It's going to stay institutional. But there's so much more, so much more. And that's what we're trying to get people's attentions on. That's where investments should probably start heading in some of these areas that are going to flush out this economy and make it something that, that economists themselves are accustomed to. Um, but we're just not there yet. So we're working really, really hard. You know, nothing against the institutional players. They're still doing phenomenal work. Uh, the other uh, NASA thing that was going on this week was Artemis, which got slid because of Ian. Right. Uh, hopefully all things work out uh, as well as they can for those Floridians. Um, but there's a lot of things that are in the news that are starting to get people excited about space again. What we want to do is make sure that that same message or that same excitement gets translated into a language that someone who's on the streets of Detroit or in Kinshasa or in uh, Mumbai will understand and say, you know what, space is someplace where I can go and I can succeed. We're just not there yet. Great. I look forward to digging into that a little bit more in our second segment. This is the Business of Defense. We'll be right back.
The U.S. defense industry is large, complex, and competitive. It is also lucrative for those companies able to navigate it successfully. The American Society of Military Comptrollers helps bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield while supporting transformation in the defense sector. The Business of Defense podcast brings you inside the companies working to achieve this directly from the business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. For more information on ASMC, visit asmconline.org. Welcome back to the Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. I'm talking with Che Bolden, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Charles F. Bolden Group, a privately held company with a team of specialists and advisors in space and national security, science, technology, engineering, math, plus arts and design education, health initiatives, and mergers and acquisitions. Che, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your path, uh, your personal path uh, to the Bolden Group, and I think it's important now for all of our viewers and listeners to know we, we have a personal relationship that goes back a few years, a few decades. A uh, we started out our careers in the Marine Corps as second lieutenants at the basic school, the same, same platoon, uh, right across the hall from each other. Uh, we both kind of went different paths, but came back together in about the 2016 time frame at Marine Corps Installations Command, and then uh, departed again, but came back, found each other together at uh, the transition courses we were getting ready to retire. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your path uh, again through the Marine Corps and ending up uh, at the Bolden Group and doing what you're doing today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of kids, young women and young men, you know, have these role models in their life that influence where they go, um, or at least the fortunate ones do. There are those who don't, and hopefully we can find ways to, to give them role models. But in my case, I never lacked for role models. Um, both my mother and my father were always my role models. Uh, my father in particular, uh, by virtue of his line of work, he was also a Marine. Uh, the people that he surrounded himself with just oozed excellence. You know, you, you go and you don't have to know who they are or what they do. You just know that there's somebody uh, that's confident and, and is there to do things. And so as I was growing up, uh, I had a, a, you know, a very privileged life to be able to be around those types of individuals. And so every, every example that I saw that I looked up to and thought was aspirational for myself, um, and due to timing, it was always men, um, that's changing, thankfully, but at the time, these men were just really, really impressive, and I knew I wanted to be like them. Uh, I didn't know exactly how I was going to be like them, but I was like, you know what, that's it, and I want to do it. And so from a very early age, you know, I knew I was going to be a fighter pilot, uh, or I knew I was going to be a Marine. I didn't know how I was going to get there. Uh, for a while, I thought I was going to be an architect and take a little sidebar, uh, but when all was said and done, uh, things just kind of naturally progressed to lead me down the path that I took. I went to the United States Naval Academy right out of high school. Uh, for those who are listening with children, I highly recommend the prep school is a really, really good option. It's hard to jump from high school to the Naval Academy without uh, creating a lot of angst and stress, um, but I did it. Um, I finished in the top 98% of my class. Uh, I, I stole that from John McCain. Um, you know, so I had my struggles there, but nonetheless, it never deterred me or, or, or caused any reason for me to doubt that the path I'd chosen was the right one. Uh, again, when it came time to decide what profession I was gonna go into, the Marine Corps seemed like a very easy and natural fit because all of the examples I had growing up happened to have been you know, really high-performing Marines. And so that was a no-brainer for me as well. Um, once I got into the Marine Corps, when we met, uh, I actually was content to be a Marine, period. Didn't matter what I was gonna do. In fact, I thought I might become a combat engineer or something. Had it not been for the guidance and the mentorship of Captain Ed McGee, who was one of our SPCs, who convinced me that uh, Marine Corps aviation needed to have a little bit more diversity and it needed to have the talent that a diverse workforce could bring, highly encouraged me to go aviation. I didn't think I was qualified, um, but lo and behold, I went and took the test and I was. And that's how I got into the aviation world uh, with his strong mentorship very, very early on. Uh, and then once that happened, there was kind of a natural progression of things. 
Um, the, the military occupational specialty I ended up going into, uh, flying F-18s, particularly I was the weapons and sensors officer sitting in the back seat. Uh, for those who are Pulp Fiction fans, that would be Goose uh, in the modern era. Um, I chose that path and it, and it proved to be professionally lucrative because I got exposed to a lot of high pressure lessons uh, and learned how to deal with adversity in some respects uh, from that. Uh, I did deviate throughout my career. Um, a lot of times Marines will talk about the Marine Corps as a force as a jack of all trades, master of none. Well, I embodied that. I did a lot of different things in the Marine Corps from crewed aviation to uncrewed aviation to international affairs and into critical infrastructure where we ended up. Um, one thread throughout all of that, two threads actually throughout all of that were leadership and then technology, believe it or not. The Marine Corps is not known as a technologically right. advanced force, but where we were at our, at our tail end, we were trying very, very hard to embrace technology to improve the state of, of infrastructure. And I got bit by that bug. And so when the time finally came for me to retire and decide on what I was going to do next, I knew those were the two areas that I was probably going to go into. Whether it was going to be leadership first and foremost or technology first and foremost, I didn't really care. Uh, I actually was kind of more of a bull in a china shop and I ran out and tried to do both. Um, I don't advise that to anybody who's try trying to start a business. Um, but here I am now where I think I've found a, a pretty decent mix between the two where I can have, have my cake and eat it too. Um, we are a leadership organization, but because we're, we're focusing those four main areas on, um, on one particular area with some commonality, and that's space and the space economy, I'm able to merge those two passions together. Uh, I hope that at some point it becomes seamless to people, but right now it's, it's, a, it's a labor of love. How did, uh, you know, looking back at your path, you know, how does that influence the culture you're trying to create uh, uh, at the Bolden Group? Um, I think, first and foremost, and, and you know this as well as I do because you feel it too, being a Marine is one of my life's uh, greatest moments at Pride. You know, I enjoy the Marine Corps. I enjoy a lot of things the Marine Corps represents. Nonetheless, the Marine Corps is a flawed organization, you know, it, just like any organization. And as good as we are, the things that we do, we can be better if we do different things. And I spent 26 years living in that system and watching it succeed in some areas and, and, not, and not do so well in others. And there was always a kind of a running theme to where we weren't doing as well as we could do. And it normally boiled back down to leadership and how leaders presented themselves to those being led, how they integrated those that they were there, whose charge they were given, their safety and well-being, how they did it, and who they looked to for that performance that, that the Marine Corps required. And it tended to fall back into a lot of the very same demographics. And it, in most cases, it wasn't a conscious decision or a conscious effort. It was more systemic in nature. And now that I am retired with a beard and I can call my own shots, I am taking the, the lessons learned from being in one of the highest performing organizations in the history of humankind and, and taking those areas where it could improve and applying those against those areas that I think are emerging uh, that can learn those lessons so we don't have to make the same mistakes twice. Again, all boils back down to leadership. It's either good leadership and good team building or it's not. No, that's great. You know, it's interesting. Uh, this uh, whole discussion, we're focusing a lot on, on leadership, uh, not only at the individual level, but the organizational level, and really at the national level as well. And again, when we look at the space industry, space domain, uh, you've got uh, civil space, commercial space, national security space, uh, that all of those interests have to be aligned. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your view on the alignment of those interests, and, and who needs to lead that? Uh, yeah. Does it need to be the government uh, that takes lead? Is it the commercial sector that takes lead? Uh, or does it need to be a more of a consortium approach? Mm -hmm. Until about the last decade, it was all about national security. Space was a national security interest. Um, and when the rest of the world looks at space right now, they typically look at it through a national security lens. 
Um, I had the good fortune of going to a conference a couple of months ago in Nairobi, Kenya, Space in Africa. It's the first one of its kind. Uh, of, of the 55 or four, depending if you're from the State Department or not, uh, African nations, 22 of them were represented there. 11 of their heads of, of, of agency were there. Almost all of them looked at space through the defense lens. Um, to me, my personal opinion, that's a mistake because that got us to where we are. It advanced space in such a way that it's now accessible, but we are now at an inflection point where space is more of a commercial or private sector endeavor. You know, obviously, being from America and being an American, I do believe in capitalism. And the way almost all of the massive explosions in industry have happened throughout our history has been because the capitalist model has allowed for growth. You know, if there's a need for something, people come in and they feel that need. If there's not a need, it goes away. When you look at, you know, the way that space has developed, you know, that national leadership based on national security was one way to go. The inflection point that we've since hit means that it's now time for capitalism to step in. And the private sector is really where it will, a lot of the leadership's going to come. Now, that being the case, um, there is a very large space company out there right now that everybody believes that the leader of that space company has been the sole driving reason for their success. That space company has been heavily underwritten by the United States government. NASA has had a huge role in the success of that company. So no one should be fooled that because you get you know, a very strong-willed, charismatic individual at the head of a private organization, that they're the ones that are pushing all of this innovation. The reality of it is they have been enabled by the United States government. And so the government will continue to have a role to play. And I will, I will echo something my father has said is the government should be there to take care of the really hard and nasty problems that we don't want to put you know, our citizens and our, and our capital at risk without doing all of the risk assessment and whatnot. And that's what NASA is. Na Na sorry, NASA is a risk mitigation tool. Their processes are not compatible with the commercial market. That's for a reason, though, and it needs to continue. We would not have had the DART mission had that been led by private industry. Just wouldn't have. The, the return on investment isn't fast enough. The United States government has the patience and, and the will to do things like that over time. Going to Mars is in all likelihood going to be a heavily government-funded mission because it is a long, long process and very expensive. The two things about space that people have to continue to understand is it's very, very expensive and it's very, very hard. Very hard. Um, the United States has been in the lead because we do hard things and we will continue to do hard things. Now it's time for U.S. industry to do that hard thing alongside of the government. But at the same time, there's a lot of talent in other places besides you know, U.S. private industry that we need to reach into and we need to enable and we need to make them part of the, of the, of the solution. In the limited time that we have left, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit of return on investment and, and hard finance. I know you were involved in uh, advising uh, on a merger uh, or really a, a company going public earlier mm -hmm. this year. Uh, it ended up not happening uh, due to some of the, I think, the economics of it mm -hmm. and changing market conditions. But uh, you know, moving forward, do you see a lot more of uh, private finance coming in and uh, you know, supporting the not only development of the space industry, but the consolidation of it as well? Um, the development, yes. The consolidation, I hope not. Um, you know, the auto industry is probably a, a pretty decent analog for where space could go. Um, we have finite numbers of automakers, but the market's not closed off to new automakers. It's just a the barrier to entry is kind of high. You know, you get uh, Rivian being a great example. You know, more people are learning about Rivian is coming into the uh, electric vehicle market, but they have the ability to do it because our market allows for it. There's no there's no roadblocks to their entry. So when we talk about space. I think people should maintain this idea that it is an open economy. It is there for anybody and there for the taking. Um, when it comes to, uh, I do want to caveat, we're actually not a mergers and acquisitions 
That's not enough. We don't have any economics folks or any, any mergers acquisition people. We just got brought in. We were brought in as advisors because space was at the heart of, of that acquisition. Um, I think there is a fear of the special purpose acquisition company now as a result of what's happened in this past year. Um, I hope it passes because it is a viable tool to grow an industry. The challenge that we have right now and the company that we were partnered with or we, were, we targeted actually defied the, 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 the norm right now is they were a very solid, well-founded company. They had uh, a, a pipeline. They had proven missions. Um, so their decision not to go public via the SPAC was not a result of, um, of you know, any uncertainty around the, the market. They will succeed. Just the economics of it didn't make sense. But when you look at that going forward, um, I am not a very big fan of the venture capital model and therefore the SPAC model as it's currently implemented because it's looking for a high rate of return right. really, really quickly. As I said earlier, space is not the place for that, um, at least not yet. Um, until we can get the cost of launch down to a manageable figure, you're not going to, you're not going to find companies that are going to explode and all of a sudden become these multi-million dollar companies. Not without a lot of capital invested into them and a lot of, of patience and a lot of help. Um, what I believe, what we believe as a company is that we need to bring together people who understand the challenge and can help identify those companies that have the longevity and the, and the skill sets to contribute to the space economy. And so the manifestation of that for us is we've created an ecosystem that we call InterAstra. And it's intended to be the global public square for space. You know, for those economically minded individuals, if you remember IMS from the early 80s that became Bloomberg LP, Bloomberg is now the place where everybody goes for financial advice. Uh, we want to be the same thing down the road. It'll take us some time to get there. But back to your question much, much earlier, the competitive advantage, I'd be hard pressed to find a company that has the expertise behind it that we have. There are those out there that have gone and found onesies and twosies. But generally speaking, you know, we're, we're pretty deep. And so we think that InterAstra has got a solid foundation of expertise to build on. But our expertise is not what's most important. The institutional expertise is not what's most important. It's the new and emerging expertise that people have yet to tap into. And that's really, when you talk about the concept of mergers and acquisitions, what middle-tier companies should look for is those new and emerging companies that have something that's just mind-blowingly different. Take a, take a chance. Invest in what they're doing. Because your return on investment on that, while it may not be three to five years or even one year like some people want, it will come and it will, it will come in spades because it's going to be a very lucrative place to be. But we've got to look across the entire spacescape to see where those opportunities are and not strictly in those traditional areas of launch, satellites, human spaceflight, multiplanetary exploration. Let the, let the institutions do that. NASA, ESA, JAXA, Roscosmos. That's what they're there for. And they're supported by a huge industrial complex. They will take care of that. They're the ones that are going to help us bring the cost of launch down to a certain point, but it's going to take innovation from the small private sector to actually push us over, uh, you know, over that hump, hit that inflection point so things really do start coming down. Well, while uh, space is vast and infinite, our time today is not. Uh, so I certainly want to thank you for joining us. Uh, really enjoyed uh, the discussion. Rich, it has been an absolute pleasure, especially since it's with you, one of my oldest and longest <laughs> friends. And so thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'd like to thank today's guest, Che Bolden, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Charles F. Bolden Group, for his insights into the Bolden Group's strategy and business model that seeks to help both government and private sector leaders create value in the space domain for security, the economy, and society. Please join us on October 27th for ASMC's third annual Data Analytics and Decision Support Virtual Conference, where we will discuss leveraging technology for PPBE reform, 
Registration is open on the ASMC website. You won't want to miss it. And watch the Business of Defense again next month, where we bring you inside the companies working to drive transformation in the defense sector to hear directly from their business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. I am Rich Brady, CEO of the American Society of Military Comptors, and thank you again for joining us. You're listening to Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. 